Well, let me uh, continue uh, with the message today. If you've been tracking with us, you know that we're in the middle of a series that we've simply been calling, We Are the Church. And what we've been saying week after week is that when Jesus came and made the promise in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 16 that he would build his church, he didn't have this building in mind. Certainly he knew about this building, but this building, this structure, these brick and mortar is not what he had in mind. He had in mind the ecclesia, the body of Christ. He had in mind the people, right? And so when we talk about the church, uh, we are not talking about buildings and institutions, we are talking about the body of believers, the people. And so we've been unpacking, through, as we walk through this series, the importance of being the church and understanding who we are so that we can walk out who we are. We began this series by talking about the importance of distinctiveness. Jesus says that the church ought to be salt and light. And if the church isn't salty, the church isn't a light in the dark place, then we're ineffective. We're useless. I didn't say that. The Bible says that, right? So distinctiveness is important. We moved on. has spent the last several weeks talking about the importance of unity. With all the diversity within the body, it's not just remarkable that we're called to be a people that are united. What's remarkable is that all these different kinds of people actually play nice with each other and like each other and get along and actually do life and ministry and our mission together we've talked about the importance of unity. In fact, one of the most distinctive uh, uh, characteristics of the church, the body of Christ, is our unity. While the world eats itself alive with all manners of divisions and factions, when you look at the demographic pie that is our world, you can't slice it anymore because we divided ourselves out and said, these people are up here and these folks are down here. These people are worthy of honor and dignity. These folks aren't. One of the sure signs that the kingdom is coming is that a diverse people can find common ground under the banner of Christ. Unity is important. We looked at Paul's words in Galatians chapter 3. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Christ. That's a powerful verse. It's often, often misunderstood. And so what we aren't saying is that our gender realities and our ethnic and cultural realities and our class realities are unimportant. Uh, what we're saying is don't bring all that mess in Christ. Bring who you are, but leave the class, you know, I'm up here, you're down here. Leave all of that nonsense out there in Christ. Jesus says we cannot use these very specific things about ourselves to assign value to some and to de- value others. This is why this church, a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational church, a church where both genders are equally valued, is so super important because it is a picture of the unity in Christ. It is a picture that we are all one in Christ. And some have asked, what's the big deal about the multi-ethnic church? What is the point? And the point isn't to just have a bunch of different looking faces. The point is that we are, as we often say, a love university, an institute of higher learning, whereby you are trained in the fine art of loving folks that you do not choose, because this is a training ground. The real mission field is out there. And so if you learn within the context of Christian community how to love and value people, to see people as made in the image of God, a much 
uh, uh, worth and value, guess what? If you learn that in here, when you actually go to the mission field, the, the marketplace, where you work, where you go to school, where you play, you will suddenly begin to see value in places where you would have missed it before. You will be able to see the imago Dei, the image of God, in places where you have missed it before. That's kind of the point of all of this. This is training. You understand what I'm saying? Training to help us be on mission. And so we've talked over the last couple of weeks about the importance of ethnic diversity, and Mandy was here last week and shared her story with us about her transformation through this multi-ethnic uh, uh, community. And today I want to tackle another uh, uh, issue, and I want to talk about some of the gender stuff. Particularly, I want to ask and answer the question, what about women? What about women? Particularly, what about women in the church? If you have just sort of been siloed in a particular type of church or a particular school of thinking, you might not know that this whole issue of women and leadership and women in ministry and gender roles within the church, you might know that this is one of the most hot-button issues in the church. It's one of the most divisive issues within the Christian church. And I uh, have to be transparent in saying that our own movement, we're part of an association of churches, 600 churches in the United States, another 1,500 around the world. Our church has not escaped the controversy. In fact, if you look throughout the history of our own movement, we have a history of wrestling with the scriptures, trying to figure out just where women should sit and fit in this body of Christ, right? What should their roles be? What are they allowed to do? Are they allowed to lead? Are they allowed to preach? Are they allowed to teach? Are they allowed to be elders? Like, just what is the deal? So we have a history of working and wrestling with the Scriptures, working through our theology and also working out our practice. And we have been challenged uh, in the last decade or more to take a firm stance and a firm theological position that women could be and should be empowered to lead alongside men. That women are empowered to do anything that a man is empowered to do, particularly with, with regard to leadership in the Christian church. And so let me just say, as I flesh out our position and I flesh out some things, and even as Shannon comes up later and we just kind of have a, a fireside chat uh, a little bit later, that... I can see how somebody else would look at the scriptures and, and land at a different place. That is to say, there's certain issues where people twist the scriptures, and I said, well, where did you get that? How'd you look at that passage and get that? As it relates to this issue, there are respectable, in my view, respectable counter-arguments. In other words, I can see how some people can look at the scriptures and walk away with a different view than what I have landed on and what our movement has landed on, I think there's a respectable argument on the other side of this. I think they are wrong. I humbly say that. Uh, but there are respectable uh, arguments on the other side. And so this message today isn't meant to demonize anybody, to exalt ourselves. This just means that we have wrestled with the text and we've landed a place where we fully affirm anyone women included, to go after whatever God has placed in them to do. I want to look at a passage of Scripture this morning, um, just to, it's a conversation starter. First Timothy chapter 2, if you would meet me there in your Bibles. Because this and maybe a handful of other texts are the texts that get used to disqualify women for serving as leaders and, and fully, fully 
you know, spreading their wings within the context of the Christian church. And I just want to read, I'm sure some of you have already familiar with this passage, First Timothy chapter 2, I projected on the screens. Paul says this, women should learn quietly and submissively. And some, some of you ladies, you got to chill up your spine as I read those words, and I don't blame you. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Some of you are like, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. What was Paul drinking that day? What was going on, right? And so this is a curious passage along with you know, dozens of other passages in Scripture where you just say, well, what on earth? This seems totally counter to the rest of the Bible, totally counter to what I've been taught and what I believe and what rings true in my spirit. And here's one of those places where context and culture matters. That's why you just can't listen to just anybody and take what they say at face value. You just can't go Googling things. And the first thing you land, you have to wrestle with the Scriptures for yourself. And part of what it means to wrestle with the Scripture for yourself is to understand that these, these words were not written to us, right? We're to glean the truth from these passages. God, through His Spirit, is speaking to us today through these passages. But these letters were written to a particular people at a particular time. And so culture, the culture of the day and the context makes sense. So some scholars believe that, Paul, that what was happening at this time was that women, particularly in the Greco-Roman world in the, um, in the early days, were, were being sort of liberated from loads and loads of oppression. Where women weren't permitted to learn, and they certainly weren't permitted to teach. And so now, as the customs and cultural traditions were changing, women were permitted to learn as teachable members of society and particularly teachable members of the church, and they weren't previously allowed to do so, right? So this was an amazing freedom for Jewish and Gentile women, particularly those who had come to Christ. But some women, though, who had grown up in this really repressive atmosphere were going overboard and expressing their freedom in destructive ways. Let me say that again. Some women, through this liberation, were sort of going overboard and expressing their freedom in Christ and their liberation in destructive ways. And so, as I've mentioned several times before, many of the letters that Paul wrote, one of the things that he was attacking was false teaching because there were a lot of counterfeit versions of the gospel, lots of counterfeit truths being passed about, and many people, including these women, were being led astray, right? And so in expressing uh, their freedom, particularly because they were not learned, not because they weren't intelligent, but simply because they weren't permitted to learn alongside men, in their liberation, they were speaking up and speaking out and being disruptive in the meetings. And so Paul wasn't trying to permanently silence them. He was actually just trying to uh, uh, curtail some of their abrasiveness and some of their unlearned mu uh, sort of audible musings and say, hey, won't you chill out for a second and get somewhere and sit down and learn? Now, that context really makes a difference, doesn't it? It really makes a difference. 
And I challenge all of us as we read Scripture, especially when something hops out at us and seems foreign and seems counter to the rest of Scripture, we have to say, man, I wonder what was going on at the time that caused them to write this. Well, like I said earlier, these, this and a, a handful of other texts have really been used to keep the thumb down on women and to, uh, um, to, to restrict their freedom of operating in the gifts that God has given them. And even our national leader had to wrestle with these texts and change his position as time went on. But where the vineyard, particularly this church, firmly stands right now is that when we look at the whole of Scripture, we see that God is empowering both men and women to do the stuff. To do the stuff. And so two things uh, that I want to share with you uh, that have been informed by some scholarly works, one of them uh, by my good friend and colleague Rich Nathan, who pastors the Columbus Vineyard. He was tasked to write a scholarly position paper for the movement uh, as to why he believed that women should be fully affirmed to lead. And two things stood out in this, uh, in his research. First thing he says is that we, as a movement, are charged to interpret Scripture as empowered evangelicals. We are charged to interpret Scripture as empowered evangelicals. And I talk about the interpretation of Scripture because most of our theology, all of our theology, and our practice should flow from our understanding of the Scriptures. And what lenses we use to look at the Scriptures really matter. I'll say that again. The lenses that we use to look at the Scriptures really, really matter matters. And so one of the lenses is we have to consider that in the vineyard we are empowered evangelicals. We said, preacher, what does that mean? And so that means that we've taken the best of the evangelical church world and the best of the charismatic world, and we like to sit someplace in what we call the radical middle. People have come here and said, so, so preacher, is this vineyard? Is this the evangelical church? Is this a charismatic church? And to that I say, yes. Understand, of course, that the evangelical church, the modern evangelical church, has lost its mind in some realms. We don't want anything to do with that. And the crazy charismatics on this side, sometimes they have just lost their mind on some issues. It's just, it just doesn't square, it doesn't jive. And so what we want to do in the vineyard is take the best of the evangelical world and the best of the charismatic world and realize that together we stay in that radical middle. We're empowered evangelicals. And so the evangelical side of us holds a very, 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 very high view of Scripture. A high view of Scripture, which basically means we never make an appeal or take a position against Scripture. We wrestle with the text. We have a fidelity. We are tethered, for better or worse, to the book, to the text. And while it's easy to interpret the Bible in different ways, you get a bunch of different people in the room, this is why we have to wrestle with it and do our due diligence. I can't tell you how many times on a hot-button issue somebody changes their view or they hold a view that doesn't jive with the Scriptures, and I say to them, how did you come to that? On the LGBTQ issue, how would you arrive there? On women and leaders, how would you arrive there? And they... 
if some, somebody says something to me like, well, I have a cousin that's gay. Or I would hate for my wife to be disqualified, this, that, and the other. And I just want to stop them and say, I sympathize with you. But did you wrestle at all with the book? I understand that you take issue because of this, but how did you arrive at that? How did you wrestle with the Scriptures? Which means no amount of time passing or social pressure should sway us away from landing where the Scriptures land on any given issues. We approach the text, the high view of Scripture. Also, as empowered evangelicals, we believe that we are empowered to do whatever we are empowered to do by God's Spirit. And what we learn when we take a close look at the Scriptures is that the Spirit of God isn't discriminatory when it comes to gender. Look in the book. The Spirit of God, there's tons of cultural things that's happening in the Bible that's shaping the landscape in which the text was written. But the Spirit of God does not Discriminate on the basis of gender. Acts chapter 2, verse 18. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will all prophesy. The spirit does not discriminate. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, in his early days understood the biblical text to prohibit women from being elders and holding key leadership positions in the church, being senior pastors, preaching, and things like that. But when John saw that the Spirit was pouring out gifts of teaching and gifts of leadership and gifts of preaching on women, he had to take a second look at the Scripture, and his position changed because, according to him, he had to do what? Get out of the Spirit's way. I love that phrase. John says, I I read this in Scripture, but I see the Holy Spirit falling on this one, and I see her spiritual gifts of leadership and spiritual gifts of teaching. Let me take a look at it again. And let me get out of the Spirit's way because he seems to be doing something in the earth that doesn't quite jive with what I previously understood. Somebody say, it's okay to take a second look. It's okay to wrestle with that thing. We must, right? The second thing that's important as we determine what lenses we use to uh, look at Scripture, particularly how we arrive at what could be considered a controversial position on women, is that the Bible should be interpreted in ways that is consistent with the practice of Jesus. The Bible should be interpreted in a way that is consistent with the practices of Jesus. Of Jesus. Now, this is important for great, great many issues, but especially with women. In light of the culturally accepted view of women in the ancient world, particularly in Jewish culture, women were considered just inferior to, to men in, in every way. They had no social standing. The word could be trusted. They were not able to be witnesses. But when I look at the way Jesus treated women, when I look at the way that Jesus regarded women, he really, in very pronounced ways, pushed, uh, pushed back against the prevailing culture and what was widely accepted as normative in the ancient world, particularly in Jewish culture. This is worth noting. More than worth noting, it's worth wrestling with, and if we don't, we aren't doing our due di- diligence. The whole chunk, like this whole thing is about him. 
Our whole life's a pattern off of his example, and if we don't square away our theology and our practice up against how Jesus uh, interacted, then we are intentionally, intentionally leading ourselves and perhaps others astray. In short, friends, Jesus liberated women. He never talked down to them. He socialized with them when it was uh, inappropriate and improper to do so. He taught them. Think of the story of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, Martha just, just, just beside herself wanting Mary to come back and, you know, get back in her place in the kitchen. And Jesus says, no, she's found the most important thing to do. He taught them. They were permitted to be the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection in several really, really important events that is really significant given the culture and context. He trained them as his disciple. Jesus lifts up the underneath. And he insists that every serious follower of Jesus do the same. Jesus lifts up the underneath whomever he or she may be. And he insists that we do the same. So in light of these key things and other key things, when we look at the Scripture, when we look at what God is doing, when we look at the, 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 the work and the life and the example of Jesus, how can we put such a low ceiling on women within the church? How can we side with our world brokenness and in its fallenness, how can we side with them over what our master and savior demonstrates? It's crazy. It's spiritually criminal. And so in light of all these and many other things that I don't have time to get in today, uh, we empower women. And so what I want to do today is I want to hear from my favorite woman. You wonder who that is? Give the First Lady a hand as she comes up today. So this is my favorite woman leader right here. And I know some of you thought that maybe you were my favorite woman leader. This is my favorite woman. And uh, I have just watched her become the person that God has called her to be and made her to be. Um, She's the mother of all my kids. (laughs) And just a fantastic example, in my humble view, of somebody who's walking this out and who's pressing into leadership God's way. And so I just want to interview her for your benefit today uh, as a person who's a practitioner. So welcome, Shannon Allison. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell the people about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I'm married to Gino. Pray for me. (laughs) Uh, and we have four kids, and uh, I, in my full-time job, I work for the Homewood Flossmoor Park District as a recreation supervisor, and then I have a little side hustle as an adjunct professor at DePaul University, and uh, yeah. You do a lot. I, I'm kind of busy. You're kind of a superwoman. Ah. I love that about you. So tell us about your upbringing and background. How, how'd you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in a Christian home, and I grew up in a Missouri Synod Lutheran denomination, and I went to... Uh, Lutheran school, kindergarten through eighth grade, and even at a very young age, I was preaching and teaching um, all the time. I would set up the TV tray, and I would make my family sit and listen to me preach. I would do communion. I'd tear up bread and use a shot glass for grape juice, 
and I make everybody take communion. I was really fond of Robert Tilton, the televangelist, and when he would say, like, put your hands on the screen to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, I'd run up to the screen and uh, receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, my parents used to always say that I would be the first uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran uh, female pastor. And that was kind of lost on me as a kid. I was like, sure, you know, might as well. I didn't realize that uh, Lutheran Missouri Synod do not allow women to preach or to be elders. And so um, that was kind of lost on me. But uh, after high school, I joined a different Christian non-denominational church. Again, they did not allow women to be preachers or elders. Uh, But I really loved the church. I led a high school small group. Um, really grew in my faith at that particular church. And then um, you and I started dating, and I started attending a vineyard church with you. And that was actually the first time that I sat under a a leadership structure where women were actually empowered to preach and to lead at the highest levels. And so under Happendi Layman from the Urbana Vineyard Church, Mm -hmm. uh, that was the first time that I was regularly hearing a woman preach and have leadership opportunities. Okay, so... You grow up in these churches and church cultures that don't allow women to lead at the highest level. You're currently, we're co-lead pastors here, and you have influence around the vineyard. And so, obviously, something's changed. So, what were some of your aha moments that led to that change? Yeah, I think, uh, one, it was just kind of lost on me. I feel like it was lost on me through my early years that women weren't allowed to do certain things. And I remember in college sort of wrestling with this idea after I uh, was attending the Urbana Vineyard Church. And I remember I had a moment where I was reading Genesis and reading in Genesis 1 where it talks about God creating human beings, both men and women in his image, and that he gave them privilege over the earth together. And then in Genesis chapter 3, that's where the fall comes into place. That's where the curse comes in. And, And that's where we read about that the curse led to the oppression of women. And in that moment, I just remember having this very strong sense of like, as Christians, as we walk out this life, knowing that the oppression of women comes as part of the curse, I was thinking as much as it concerns me, I want to live pre-curse. And there's a lot about the curse that I can't control. You know, there's sickness and death and pain that for the most part I have no control over. But I thought for this particular item of oppression, if it concerns me and if Christians have control over that, why wouldn't we try to live pre-curse? Like why wouldn't we try to live in with God's original intention of this privilege and this opportunity of sharing in the responsibility of his original creation and intention? Mm -hmm. So you had some aha moments that definitely had you wrestling with the scriptures. Were, were there some ways that you actually saw this in practice, like some, some examples? Absolutely. I uh, grew up in a home where my parents probably w- were living out traditional gender roles. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and my dad you know, worked very hard, but I never was told that I had to play a certain role or that I needed to grow up and do certain things. My parents really just kind of let, let me know that I had choices and I had options. And so I, I'm just very grateful for their just influence in that particular thing. Like, that, like doors were wide open to me in terms of what my parents were sharing. Um, also at a very young age, 
I was influenced by my great aunt, Ola Bundy, and um, Ola worked at the Illinois High School Association, and she was kind of a high-level employee at that time, and she was influential in the passing of Title IX in 1972, and so if you're familiar with Title IX, this was the law that was passed that prevents discrimination on the basis of sex in education programs and activities which for most of us, we know this to mean that women were allowed to participate in sports at the same levels that men were allowed to participate. And so because of it passing in 1972, my great aunt was not allowed to participate in sports. And it also meant that my mom was not allowed to participate in sports. So I sort of became my great, great aunt's project in some <laughs> ways, um, where she was just very encouraging to make sure that I was participating in sports because it was something that she had worked her whole life to, uh, you know, kind of participate in this Title IX passage. And so she was encouraging me to play sports, which I feel like sports were just a huge uh, space for me to learn and grow in my confidence and leadership roles. And so I, I spent a lot of time uh, playing in sports. Uh, and then I started, as I grew up, I just continued to interact with other women who were doing amazing things in leadership. And when I was 18, I was hired by a woman uh, by the name of Lori K. Payton, from the Urbana Park District, and she hired me to work in a before and after school program. And then this woman was in, in the, my first experience with a woman who was really leading in a professional setting. In a, in a, uh, she was very much living out her Christian faith, and so it was no no surprise to anybody that she was a strong Christian. And so she was continually giving me opportunities in this professional space, like she would. Uh, take me along to presentations with her. She would help me write presentations. She would put me up on stages. She was giving me all this responsibility, more responsibility than I deserved. I mean, I was just like this young kid. And even to this day, she's still my mentor. She will still text me and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Uh, hey, will you do this presentation with me? Even to sometimes like where she was actually given the presentation opportunity, but she'd say, you know what, Shannon, I think this would be a great opportunity for you she would pray for me, she would pray with me, she would pray over our presentations, and this woman was just giving me opportunity after opportunity in a professional setting that was just like, her Christian faith was just baked in to all of that. Uh, and then at, you know, later in college, I started attending the Urbana Vineyard Church where Di Lehman was preaching on a regular basis, and I continued to come into contact with more and more women in the church who were leading I started working as a high school teacher, and the principal of the school, Donna Kaufman, was this fantastic principal. She was just a strong leader. Uh, she led this incredible school, and she was just so encouraging to me. She was, again, giving me more and more opportunities, letting me do things that I probably should not have been allowed to do. <laughs> um, she was just, an, again, an incredible mentor to me, and I, I just continued to see more and more women in leadership uh, moments in a variety of different settings. When when Gino and I first started dating, we'd go up to visit his parents' church, and um, I remember your mom on Mother's Day one day gave this Mother's Day sermon, and I had never been a part of a full gospel church. Mm -mm. And here's this woman giving this sermon on Mother's Day, and she just like rocked my world and like the whole room. And I mean, it was just a new. It wasn't how Di Lehman was preaching. It wasn't how I'd seen any Lutheran pastor preach. And here was this other woman. And so, again, getting more and more opportunities to see women in leadership. Yeah, I'm struck by how, you know, I'm struck by how many names you named of women that 
empowered you, that women who might had to, have had to decrease so that you might increase. That really stands out to me. I, I'm always talking about, you know, our names should be coming up in people's testimonies and stories. And I, I counted at least six women that you named that empowered you and, and showed you how to, how, to, how to walk in this. And I think that's really cool. And so, so now we're leading this church, right? Yeah. And so all these examples and all this sort of setup, transitioning to co-leading this church with me was probably just a walk in the park, right? Uh, no. Uh, no. No, not at all. In, in fact, uh, you know, when we, the vineyard has a kind of a church planting model. And so before we set out to plant this church, they ask you to write a two-year plan. And so we come out of this Urbana Vineyard Church where Happy and Di Lehman are co-leading 50-50. So we write this plan where Gino and I are going to co-lead the South Suburban Vineyard Church 50-50. And we start doing this. We come up and we plant this church, and it's not working out so well in the 50-50 realm in terms of us sharing uh, leadership responsibilities. And I just started to feel like I was drowning. I was disoriented. I was overwhelmed. We were, we were here. We were trying to figure out what we were doing with this church and and. Arguing a lot. Arguing a lot. And we were growing our family. We are having more kids. It was just very challenging. And I found that the, the church life in this 50-50, you know, this plan that we had written, this idea of what we had watched happen die lame and do at the Urbana Vineyard, it just wasn't working for me. And I felt like a failure. I was just failing at well, all of it. Well, what, 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 what was that failure related to? If you had to unpack that, what was it? Yeah. Well, here we were planting this vineyard church. And I felt this huge responsibility that, like, you know, Vineyard was in the midst at the time in 2009 in the midst of this position paper on women in leadership. And I'm thinking, well, here we are. This is a Vineyard church. I'm a woman. People have fought really hard for women to be in leadership. Like, of course I need to lead 50-50 with you because that's what all these women and men, like, let's not forget that they fought too, women and men that fought for my empowerment and so I also need to make sure that I'm living out that empowerment that people fought so hard to give me. And at the same time, you are willing to share the responsibility, maybe, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, you are willing to share this responsibility. And I thought, how could I not? Like, it would be foolish of me to squander this necessary empowerment. And I wanted to demonstrate to other women they, they could lead too. And so I just, I, yeah, that's what I felt. So... Clearly, that didn't work for you. So, so what was the turning point? What, what made the difference? Yeah, so I, I think, I mean, we came to a point where we were arguing a lot, and it wasn't good for our marriage. No. <laughs> we, and we met with some vineyard pastors, Steve and Cindy Nicholson from the Evanston Vineyard, who were our coaches. And um, through some wise counsel from them, we stopped the 50-50 split. Like, we just decided that that was not what was best for our marriage. It was not best for this church. And so in letting go of this plan that I'd written up and letting go of this idea that I should be like happened and die layman from the Urbana Vineyard Church, I felt this amazing freedom. And we had to walk out some details of that and, like, you know, changing responsibilities and things like that. But in that moment of letting go of this idea of what I should be doing as a as a woman in leadership, I gained so much freedom. Mm. And I started to let go of this idea of the 50-50 split or just leading a whole lot here at the church. 
And I started to find that I really loved leadership in my full-time position mm-hmm. at the park district. And I started to figure out that that was where my passion was and that was where my leadership opportunities were bringing life into me. And that uh, then over time, I actually started to gain more energy for the church again mm-hmm. and for this particular church. And so then I let go of this idea of what I should be doing and all of a sudden... I started like wanting to come back and lead here a little bit more. And I started teaching a few more classes and I started leading small groups again. And then every once in a while I'd say, Hey, Gino, maybe I could preach, you know, next week or something, you know, just (laughs) every once in a while, just kind of, but it didn't feel like I was having to do, it didn't Mm. feel like it was a necessary thing. I was, I had some choices and I had a little bit more freedom in all of that. Okay. So when we talked this week, you, 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 you said, I think your words were, you feel like God had given you permission to write your own story. Absolutely. Unpack that for us. Yeah, so I, in the midst of all of this transition uh, through the course of watching a, a kid's movie, there was this line in the movie where it was like, he says, you are writing your own story. And that really hit me in a powerful way. And I realized that God was giving me permission to write my own leadership story. And so in, in all of that, I just started to walk out this new path of leadership, and I realized that there weren't a lot of examples for me to follow. Like, there weren't a lot of women who had my situation and story in mind. And so I started to just kind of say, like, there isn't, like, a specific one, two, three-step scenario for me to walk into leadership. And so I had to start writing this new story and this new narrative about what leadership would look like. Mm -hmm for me in my context. So I think many of us would resonate with that, even as we were planting this church, which very, very different from the church we came out of. Our models, we were pretty much mimicking our models, and we got to the edge of that pretty quickly because we realized we're a multi-ethnic church. The church we planted out of was not. We're in a totally different cultural environment than there. And so we quickly got to the end of trying to mimic everything that they did at our sending church. And so it sounds to me like you know, obviously you're not writing your own story. God has written your story. But what you're realizing is, like, we don't have to be just like them. And there may not be a model for what God right. has called you to do. And so like, listening to him and freedom to take some risk and be your own person is what seems to be that uh, God had given you sort of freedom and permission to do. And so in light of that, letting God write your story and freedom to take some risk and get out there, what would you say to women today, the women that are listening here today and through our podcast, like, what, what might you say to them? Yeah, so one of the things that you just highlighted was that this permission and listening to God is that I had to really stop and, and kind of shut down all the chatter and really start listening to the voice of God. Like, where, where were the, like, pinpoint moments where my passions really came alive and, like, what was giving me energy and what was giving me life? And I, was, I would encourage women to, like, trust that God is speaking to you and that the Holy Spirit is kind of highlighting certain things and certain paths for you to go down. And, and at the same time, there are moments where God was like clearly shutting down some things that mm. like, you know, this exhaustive list of things that I thought I should do. God was kind of shutting those things down. And so listening to the Holy Spirit to speak to you in the same way that we know that he can speak to men Um, And so just as Gino highlighted at the beginning, I really want women to hear that message that we here at the SSB, we believe that God is empowering both men and women to Mm -hmm. lead and walk in the fullness of what God is calling them to do. And so 
I, I really want that to like sink deep into the hearts of women. Um, and at the same time, I want women to like recognize and embrace and honor their own path to leadership. And so for some women here, your path might include preaching and teaching. And some of you might get on big stages and speak to thousands and thousands of women and share, you know, certain skills and in, in your story and those types of things. Other women, you may be sitting here and like your skill set may be like leading in our kids' church ministry or leading devotions at your kitchen table to your family. Or other women who are sitting here, you might be a leader in your professional setting and you might be a boss and a supervisor and, and taking those roles and responsibilities really seriously. Some of you are just trying to lead yourself into that. I say continue, <laughs> continue the hard work of leading yourself. Um, and I think recognizing, like, not all of us should be preaching and teaching. Not all of us should be, you know, that could be the worst thing for some of us to stand on a stage with thousands of people. Like, we could blow ourselves up and we could blow up other people if we're not careful, yeah, right? Not and so, that, right? right, we just need to walk in the fullness of what God is calling us to, uh, you know, not taking that to any other, like, levels than where we need it to be. We just want to pursue leadership to the highest of what God is calling us to. I also think with that is that women need to push their limits a little bit. Um, recognize your area of leadership and then do it with everything that's within you. Like, go for it. Like, say yes to preaching if Gino asks you to preach. Take the class that you've been wanting to take. Go to that workshop. You know, say yes to leading a small group. Do the thing that kind of, like, piques your interest and, and go for it. Like, if you feel like you can do more, then do more. We want to just encourage you to push your limits. And oftentimes I feel like women kind of sit back in that. But we're here to tell you, like, go. Go for it. Like, spread your wings and fly. I don't know. Whatever you need to do. We just want to encourage you to go all the way. Uh, and I think that sometimes for, for some of us we need to be pushed out. And for other women, I think that... We need to remember that we need to approach this leadership uh, potential with humility. Uh, there have probably been times where because, there, because of our history and because of oppression and because of the different places where doors have been slammed in our faces, sometimes when we get leadership opportunities, we come in with this chip on our shoulder. And we think if these men would just get out of our way and sit down somewhere and be quiet, we could have this thing organized and efficient and working just fine. It's usually true, though. So. It, I just didn't want to okay. say it, right? <laughs> true. At the same time, we should, we should do so uh, with a level of humility because men don't need us to be jerks when we become leaders. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not okay, and that doesn't work, and it usually causes more... Uh, you know, division than it does cause in unity. And so we want to make sure that when we do have those leadership opportunities, that we make sure that we speak when we need to speak, say what you need to say, and listen when we need to listen. We don't need to be cowering the, in the corner waiting for some man to give us permission to speak. If you have the confidence to speak on the issue, you should speak. And at the same time, you should also recognize when to listen. And, and I think some of that has to do with just surrounding yourself, men and women, surrounding yourselves with people who will help you develop that self-awareness as a leader, making sure that, you know, you have people who aren't afraid to get in your face and kind of help you develop that uh, appropriate level of humility. So, so I think that's really good. I also keep thinking about all the women who made space for you and who yeah. showed you and told you that you could do it. What would you say to women about empowering and rooting for other women? Yeah, absolutely. If, you know, if Ola, my great aunt Ola, and if 
Lori K. Payton and Donna Kaufman had not encouraged me and, and kind of decreased so that I could increase, like I would not be here, you know, in this particular context today. And so I think for women, we have got to work really hard to empower the women around us. And I think sometimes women can be so terribly awful to each other. And we always feel like if, you know, if she gets leadership opportunity, then I won't get the leadership opportunity, so I'm going to sabotage that, or I'm going to speak unkind words, or she's not very good at that anyway. And I just feel like we need to stop that. Amen. And we need to encourage each other as women. We need to be each other's biggest advocates. We need to cheer for women when they're doing amazing things, even if it's in the same area as you are doing it. <laughs> we need to lift each other up. We need to give space to other women to lead. You know, if you have a leadership opportunity and you're always doing something, can you bring four or five women with you? Can you give some opportunities for people to speak and teach and, or do whatever you are, you know, give somebody the opportunity to do whatever you've been doing. So empowered women, empowered, empower women. Like yeah. that's, we just need to keep doing that. And so, that's you know, really as good. much as we are able, let's keep that's doing good. that. So I'm not sure if I want to ask this, but what would you say to, what would you say to men? I actually took notes on this because I wanted to make sure. <laughs> Got a few things here. Um, so I do think that men need to, again, I don't speak for all women. I speak for myself. Uh, but I think that men need to regularly participate in giving women leadership opportunities. And whether that be in the home or the office or the church world, like men need to give women opportunities to lead and that men also need to demonstrate that they can be led by a woman. That's good. And I think that's, that may be hard for, for men, some harder for some than others, but uh, making sure that you're making space for women to lead. Uh, at the same time, when you do give a woman leadership opportunities, I think it's important for men to be aware of how to give feedback in those things. Like, don't just let a woman fail to prove a point. And don't just let her fail so that you can run in and rescue her. Like, give her the feedback that she needs so that she can be successful in that realm or whatever leadership opportunity that you've given her. I need you to do that. Um, I also think that men should practice authentically complimenting women for their specific leadership qualities, both in private and in public. Men typically have a lot of practice and do a really good job of complimenting women on things like their appearance or their beauty or things like that. And while that's fine most of the time, uh, I think that it is harder and requires more effort on the part of a man to actually compliment a woman on her leadership skills or mm. her abilities or her talents in the leadership realm. And so I think men should work hard uh, to, to give those compliments when appropriate. Uh, I also think that men... I know. Well, and, I, and this is a trim-down uh, list this is, this here. This is a short right? list. These are just the top, top five. <laughs> no. Uh, Men need to watch their interaction cues, and I see this more in a professional setting than I do necessarily in the church world, although it does happen in the church world. But I've been in business settings where, for example, I will be with male coworkers, and we come into contact with a, another male, and the male who I don't know and no one knows will shake hands with my male counterparts and will re come reach over to give me a hug. And... And that's just, it's kind of awkward, mm -hmm. right? But it's like if you're shaking hands with my, my male coworkers, you probably should shake hands with me. And I feel like that's appropriate. And, and also I feel like if I am the person you're talking to, like I don't need you to talk to Gino 
to interpret. So if we're having a conversation, I feel like <laughs> men, you should probably acknowledge that the woman is in the role, you know, in the room. Um, and if she's in leadership, like there shouldn't have to be like a, you know, a third party involved. I hope most of the time women, especially in professional settings, that they can, they can do what you called them to do. Right. Uh, so, so men, I think just to be aware, like, are you doing something different with women that you wouldn't do with a man? Are you speaking to them in a way? Are you interrupting them mm. more frequently than you're interrupting a male? Uh, just being mindful and watching for those things. And I, I think I want to be really clear. Like, I think that men should like go all out for chivalry. Like I love when men open the door. I love it when they stand up, when a woman walks into the room. So don't, don't hear me say to lose those things. Like, to keep doing those things, mm. right? At the same time, I feel like you can interact with us in a way that honors our leadership and honors us as human beings and mm. honors us as, as people who have skills and talents. That's, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Amen, right? Amen. Um, so so I, I feel like what I heard in there is like the thing that stuck out to me was that we should f follow well. Like if God has gifted you to lead, it's one thing to follow. You drag your feet, grumble, complain to this one and that. It's one thing to, it's another thing to follow well. And I, I feel challenged to make sure that I'm following well. And so I, I really appreciate that. And so as we, as we sort of land this thing, I, I have two final questions. And uh, the first one is, what, in your view, is the most difficult thing about being a female leader? I think there are a few things that, that immediately come to mind. And I would say that there, as a, as a woman in leadership, there is sometimes this undercurrent of, am I good enough? Am I talented enough? Am I going to be able to, like, if I'm neck and neck with a male for a job, for example, like if I don't get the job, there's always like this tinge of, like, did I not get this because I'm a woman? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there are some, real, like there are enough real life examples where that does happen, where, where that is just hard to kind of break. I think that I also find that there are times where I have to minimize who I am in order to go for the positions that I want or to go for the leadership opportunities that I want. So for example, sometimes I don't tell people if I'm applying for a job, I won't tell them that I have four kids because sometimes that can be a reason why someone wouldn't let me have a job because they think that I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I've got sick kids at home or something, you know, and I wouldn't be able to fill, fulfill my job responsibilities. And so and there are times where I feel like as a woman, certain parts of my personality and my character, I have to suppress that in order to make sure that men will respect me, that I don't say things too emotionally or I don't act, you know, too, um, too free about certain things that a man wouldn't respect me or follow, follow in my leadership. And then last, the thing that I think is a challenge is that I'm constantly weighing the trade-offs of leadership. And so I could go to the leadership conference, but that means that I would be away from my kids for a week. Or I could go have coffee after I get off of work with some of the women in this church, but then I will miss putting my kids to bed, or I'll miss time with my husband, or I'll miss X, Y, and Z. And so I feel like the trade-offs mm. are constantly being played out through my mind mm. in different ways and in different scenarios. That makes sense. So what would be the, what, what brings you the most joy as a, as a female leader? Yeah. 
I feel like in the last uh, few years, what really gives me joy is this idea of writing my own story and getting the opportunity to share that with other women. Mm. Because I feel like women need to hear more and more stories of women in leadership so that they continue to get more examples of how women are leading. Mm. Not because that my story will be the same as someone else's story, but it, I feel like it sometimes just adds a little more detail to how one other woman is walking out leadership. Mm. And so I feel like there's this excitement in getting this opportunity to share with women that says, listen, I've got four kids, I work full time, I do this, that, and the other thing, and here's where I'm you know, really doing a great job of you know, balancing all of those things, and here's where I'm really failing, and like, here's how I'm kind of working that out. And I feel like women need to just continue to hear other women share their stories so that they can continue to kind of pad this roster of like, how are women doing this? How are women leading? And I know that that won't look exactly the same way as, as anyone else's story, but it just gives me one more idea, one more scenario, because the, the examples that, that we had 10 years ago were far fewer than the number of women in leadership today. You know, over the past 10 years, I've continued to interact with women who are doing leadership in a variety of different ways. And I feel like there needs to be more. Like, mm, if yeah. I had, you know, five examples 10 years ago, and then today I probably have 15 examples, no one's story looks exactly like mine, but we need more and more women to step up to lead so that you can just, again, continue to tell your story to the next person. Yeah. I think that's great. I think that's great. And so I just want to say publicly that I'm very proud of you. I'm very proud of you. Um, and this has not always been easy. Um, amen? Amen, um, amen. But I've, I'm proud of who you are. I like who you are. And I'm so grateful that women get to, to be spiritually formed in a place where there are lots of examples of women leading and doing that well with grace and with great dignity and, and, and can still maintain their femininity and still, like, be a part of the team. I'm so proud of who you are, and I'm very grateful that I get to do this with you. And I just want you, as we close and worship team, you can come up. I just want you to pray for our church that we would continue to go after this and that today would bring freedom and unlock some things where the enemy meant to keep certain women in a box that your words and the power of the Spirit will bring freedom and liberation so that everybody is getting to the farthest edge of what God created them to be. Would you just bless that uh, over us as we head into worship? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Father God, I am just so grateful for the women and men that you have brought into this particular place. I'm so grateful that you have brought in people with different stories and different backgrounds and different leadership levels so that we as a church could continue to learn and grow to the farthest edges of our capabilities and our talents. Lord, for the women who have been oppressed and who have heard negative words spoken over them or who have been silenced in different areas, Lord, would you just give them their song back? Would you give them their voice would you give them the freedom to lead in the ways that, God, that you, God, have called them to lead? Would you remind them of their calling? Lord, for the men in this space, would you continue to just cultivate their hearts? Father God, I'm so grateful to be surrounded by men who have just regularly given women in this space an opportunity to just lead 
We are so grateful for the opportunity to, to walk beside you, to make decisions with you, to lead this church together as we stand united in Christ, as we let the Holy Spirit pour out the gifts that he has called to each of us. Lord, would you give us more? Would you bring in the brokenhearted women who have been oppressed? Would you bring them into this space, Lord, so that we can just take care of them, that we can help them to rise up to their level? Lord Jesus, we are so profoundly honored to get the opportunity to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.